my mercy can rewrite your life. My mercy can rewrite your life. I want you to go with me this morning to the stories of two men in the New Testament. And we'll look for just a few minutes at how the mercy of God, undeserved, pitying love of God for these two men rewrote their lives. You know, around this place, it seems like we don't collect a whole lot of folks at Alamo City who have never known the dark side of life, who have never known what it is to struggle with habits, with relationships that have gone crazy, with some things on the inside that have taken us to places we never should have been, kept us longer than we wanted to stay, cost us more than we wanted to pay. We're somehow a gathering of folks in this Alamo City family who cherish as one of our greatest treasures what the Bible speaks of as the mercy of God. Knowing that if that if he didn't come our way with blessings that we didn't deserve, with freedom that we forfeited on our own, we, we gave it up and found ourselves somewhere in a faraway place. If he hadn't come to us, we never would have found him. Some folks say, I found the Lord. A lot of us realize we, we didn't find the Lord. He found us. Now, one of those verses that's so cherished by us in this place is that Titus chapter 3, verse 5, which says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of things that we have done in righteousness, trying to be righteous, but according to his mercy according to his mercy, according to his mercy. There was one main word that is translated mercy in the Greek New Testament, the language in which the New Testament was written. And it is a word that, that means, that is translated, and it embodies this truth, God's pitying love dispatched to alleviate the consequences of sin. God's pitying love dispatched to alleviate the consequences of sin. And commenting on that particular word, Elias, one of the the great lovers of Jesus and scholars of the Word of God has said that there are some things, some consequences of our sins 
that grace doesn't cover. We're forgiven by the grace of God. We're going to heaven by the grace of God. But there can be some lingering consequences of our sin that only the mercy of God can take care of. Therefore, we cling to the grace of God and we cry out for the mercy of God. Amen. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46 begins the story of a man by the name of Bartimaeus. And this man is no stranger, and his story is no stranger to the Alamo City family. We seem to cycle back by here often. But this is one example of how the mercy of God rewrote a man's life. Verse 46, Mark chapter 10. And when they came to Jericho, he, Jesus, was going out from Jericho with his disciples. And a great multitude, with a great multitude, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's the English translation. What he literally was saying, Jesus, son of David, mercy me. Mercy is a verb, not an adverb. The main verb, Jesus, son of David, mercy me. In other words, Jesus, I don't need more pity. I don't need somebody to feel sorry for me. I don't need somebody to try to come along and speak little trite, little formularized words of encouragement to me. I need somebody who cares enough about my soul to help me. I'm broken and I need to be fixed. I'm blind and I can't see. Jesus, son of David, mercy me. Mercy me. Many, verse 48, were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, the first part of this verse is one of the most amazing verses in all of your Bible. Out of all the people that were clamoring for Jesus' attention, all the places he could have gone by and he didn't, all the ones who could have, and in many senses of the word, should have gained his attention, his full focus, there was only one out of all of that crowd who caused Jesus to stop. And Jesus stopped and said, 
Call him here. Call him here. Call him to me. And they called to the blind man saying, take courage, rise. He's calling for you. Casting aside his old dirty cloak, he jumped up. He came to Jesus, but he couldn't see, had to feel his way along. What did he have to go over? What did he have to go around? Did anybody help him? We don't know. But one way or another, he got there. He came to Jesus. Verse 51, and answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, or my master, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. My mercy can rewrite your life. Trust me. Trust me. I want you to go back up and let's kind of ease our way back into this passage just a little bit. The man's name was Bartimaeus. B-A-R, as a prefix to a proper name, would always mean the son of, the son of Timaeus. Names in those days meant something. People were named um, to identify certain characteristics that they had or that they would aspire to be. The name Timaeus is a word that means honor privilege, dignity, the son of honor, the son of dignity, the son of privilege, and yet where is he? He's sitting on the side of a road in the dirt probably, in rags because he didn't have a job, couldn't earn a living. And his earthly name was Son of Honor. And yet he had come to be a picture of great dishonor. When it says that there were many who were sternly telling him to just be quiet, quit, you're, you're embarrassing us. It, it, it wouldn't be a stretch of the truth, think that probably some of those that were speaking that way to him were his own family. Because how else did he get there to the place where he would beg if he didn't have some help getting there? So what if as this eruption within him, I've heard about this Jesus, had never seen him before, had ever, never been in the company of Jesus before, evidently, but he had heard enough to know that there was power that flowed from the person of Jesus. 
And if it was indeed true that this Jesus, this kind-hearted man who cared for sick people and who would let children get on his lap and he just loved folks, if that one with power in his hands is coming my way, I'm going to do everything I can. Because he may be my only chance for there to be a remedy to my situation. So it says that he, that the tense of the verb is that he cried and he cried out and he cried out and he cried out. It's continuous action in past time. He couldn't shut up. And what was his cry? Jesus, son of David, mercy me. Mercy me. And Jesus gets within earshot. I mean, think about this. This is God in a human body. As we say, this was the almighty God with skin on. He had ears, he had eyes, he had hands and feet. He had a heart and emotions within him. And he only had these three years of public ministry out of all of eternity to focus on the human race. He could have been anywhere. But it wasn't the high priest that stopped him in Jerusalem. It wasn't the Caesar in Rome that stopped him. There was one poor, blind beggar named Bartimaeus, who kept on shouting the theme of his coming. But when the kindness of God our Savior, that's Jesus, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He came to save us, to rescue us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on him. He tied into the very spot from which the coming of Jesus emanated. Mercy. Mercy. He stopped, had the man come, and then this almost too obvious question he asked Jesus to Bartimaeus. What is it that you want me to do for you? And he waited for Bartimaeus' response. And the blind man said, my master, I want to regain my sight. He didn't ask for a million dollars. He didn't ask for some royal coat of arms to be bequeathed to his family. He didn't ask for privileges. He just, I want to regain my sight. The idea being from the way he phrased it is that I once could see, but I lost my sight. I want you to give me my sight. There's one thing out of the, all of this world, everything in my life, one thing I could ask you for is this. I need my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way, 
your faith has made you well. Now, don't you think about this, folks. What did Bartimaeus' faith look like? What does faith look like? What does faith sound like? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blaring it out, couldn't be shut up, wouldn't stop until finally Jesus heard. Jesus turns and says to him, your faith, your faith has made you well. And I want to remind you, this guy has not repented of his sins. He's not confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He's never been baptized. He's not a member of anybody's church. We don't know whether there's any religion working in him or not, whether he was a good Jew or bad Jew. We don't know. But somewhere or another, he was the object of the mercy of God. And God's pitying love was dispatched to alleviate the misery of the consequences of sin. It wasn't necessarily that that man had sinned, though it could have been. But sin in this world is rampant. It's sins that we choose in violation of the Lord's heart. It's sins that are done against us, done to us. The fallen angels, the demons doing their work to try to trip us up and pull us. Sin is everywhere. And as a result of that, circumstances and consequences and things that happen are the result of the property of sin at work in our day. But the mercy of God, the mercy of God is dispatched to alleviate consequences of sin. Even when the expression of God's love in that way haven't been earned or not deserved, what was it about this man that would qualify him as a candidate for the mercy of God if it was not just his absolute helplessness and his determination that I will cry out, I will keep asking, I will keep calling on the name of Jesus. I may lose my breath, he may not hear me, but I won't shut up and I won't stop and you can't make me shut up and you can't make me stop. I will keep crying because my only hope, my only hope is Jesus. Now folks, here's the deal. There are specific truths that are tied to Bartimaeus, the context. But there is powerful, amazing truth that is available to every child of God. And even Bartimaeus at that time very likely wasn't even a born-again Christian or child of God. He was just helpless. And he was trapped in his blindness. And all he wanted was the ability to be Normal again. That's it, just so I can see. But I'm telling you, if we're honest in this room, and those watching, wherever you're watching from, this, this is true of many of us. It may not be physical blindness, 
But there is something, some situation, some relationship, some something that has trapped us, that has imprisoned us. Bartimaeus was a prisoner to his blindness. And there is instruction for us and there is hope for us that if the living Lord Jesus Christ were to press into your heart, to your spirit, and you're not trying to impress him with anything, you, you, you just are who you are. And the Lord came to you and he would say, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? The what has to be identified. And then the focus of where you're taking that desire to me. What do you want me to do for you? The, the, the doing part is further indication that this mercy word in the New Testament involves action. It's got hands. It's got authority to accomplish things. It's not just sympathy. It's not just compassion. It's the power of God released in your behalf where you're hurting the most, where you're broken or bound the most. The mercy of God dispatched to alleviate the consequences of sin. So the question remains for us is, Will we cry out? Will we cry out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You see, with Bartimaeus, it was to be free from blindness. For us, it can be to be free from something else. But it can also be, as he was crying out, something to be restored. I want my sight back. Has something been taken from you? Something been stolen from you? Something that you've lost? Could it be? Could it be that on this day and this hour, the Lord's heart is to draw close to you and to say to you, what do you want me to do for you? He has the power to break prisons and to break shackles, but he has the power to bring stuff back. He has the power to reconcile and to restore. I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth or ideas in anybody's mind. I'm just saying, would you, would you, in the middle of wherever you're living, whatever you're going on with, family, work, health, whatever it be, job, is there some part of that that has become a prison? Is there some part of that where something has been taken away and you long for it to be restored? Would you just dare to believe, maybe for just a moment, that you could be in exactly the same place as far as the Father is concerned, Jesus is concerned that Bartimaeus was in and that he would say to you today, what do you want me to do for you? 
Would you tell him? But it's been so long. It's, it's gone on for so many years. It's involved so much of my life. What's different about that than Bartimaeus' situation? None. My mercy can rewrite your life. The kind of person that Bartimaeus would be free of his blindness. The kind of person that you would be free of that which has constrained, restrained, held you back, imprisoned you. The Lord is the Spirit, Paul said, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That work of the Spirit of God to set us free in ways that we have grown so accustomed maybe to just being a prisoner. We just settle down as a prisoner. We don't kick against it anymore. We don't fight against it. That's just the way I am. That's what I'm stuck. This is how I go to heaven. That could have been Bartimaeus' attitude, but it wasn't. Jesus, son of David, mercy me. I'm talking about some things here that maybe you have not even, you're not big to talk about to other people. Maybe it's something that you and you alone know, maybe just one or two close friends, but, but there's something that has the power to paralyze you, to hold you back, to keep you from being, to keep you from going. That, that was Bartimaeus and his blindness. He couldn't go. He, he didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do, didn't, didn't know which way to look because he couldn't see. Please consider that, my dear brother, my dear sister. Very clearly, I felt that the Lord had led me to this pastor of Scripture this week, and I don't, only he knows who's going to be listening. Bartimaeus could have blown off the passing through of Jesus as if, well, that's just not going to have any effect on me. There was something went off in him, though. I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to try it. And the Lord met him. Here's the next story. Go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, and I want to start reading in verse 38. My mercy can rewrite your life. Verse 38, and Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Simon Peter's home. Now, Simon's, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they made request of him on her behalf. And standing over her, he, Jesus, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately arose and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases, brought them to him. And laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. Now, where was this taking place? We don't know 100% sure, but if he was at Simon Peter's house for a meal after his time in the synagogue there in Capernaum, then it stands to reason that Jesus was still at Simon Peter's house. 
that all these people, all these sick people, once they heard about Simon Peter's mother-in-law getting well, then all these other people started bringing their sick friends and sick loved ones where? Simon Peter's front yard, Simon Peter's backyard, Simon Peter's side yard, street out in front of Simon Peter's house, more than likely. Let's get down to chapter 5, verse 1. Now, it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night, caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. And their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that both boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners, business partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You read the accounts in a couple of the other Gospels, and it is the shorthand version of this. That says, they describe it as if Jesus is walking on the shore of Galilee, he sees Simon Peter and, and James and John, and he calls them, and just right then, they drop everything, and they, they take off following Jesus. Luke, however, gives the background. Simon Peter had been exposed to Jesus. He'd been exposed to Jesus more than likely in his own house where his mother-in-law was sick, sick as a dog with a high fever. Jesus comes into the house. They bring the mother-in-law to her. He, he just rebukes it. He just speaks a word, and she's well, 98.6, just like that. Energy back, taking care of the crowd, taking all the folks who came to eat. He saw that. But you don't see him buckling in his knees and bowing down before Jesus and speaking any kind of word of confession. Well, in the 
You know, the afternoon goes on, gets toward evening, word gets out, and here come all these hundreds, just about thousands of people, sick people, coming into Simon Peter's yard, coming in and out of his house. Hundreds, if not thousands of people being miraculously made well just at the touch of the hand of Jesus. Simon Peter must have seen that, heard about it, didn't move him. Jesus went to Simon's house. But it wasn't until Jesus got in Simon's boat. In the center of his world. The center of his identity. Folks, I'm telling you. Jesus knows where the hole in a man's heart is. A woman's heart. He knows what it takes to reach people. And the mercy of God is what drives the Spirit of God on to connect with men where men can hear it, where they can get it, where they can respond to it, to women where they can get it. Where's the church house? Where's the statue? Where's the steeple? You can't find one. Did Jesus set up court in the synagogue and say, I'll take everyone who will come to see me in the synagogue? Where is he? He's out on the bank of a lake, gets in the boat of a fisherman because he's got a heart for fishermen, for that fisherman. He was fixing to, in a few short years after that, lay on Simon Peter's shoulders in an earthly sense, in an earthly sense, in a human sense, the future of the redemptive plan of God for the human race. But Simon Peter and the other 11, or the other 10, Judas missed it. But to them would given, be given the assignment to take the message of Jesus to the rest of the world. But Simon Peter... Wasn't impressed with his mother-in-law getting healed. I mean, he's probably, I'm sure, glad she got, you know, she brought the tortillas or the biscuits or the pot sauce. She, she, Hannah, he's glad to eat. Men are glad to eat. Do I have a witness there? Men are glad to eat. But then all these other people could come in. There are hundreds of miraculous things happening, and it didn't faze him. But when Jesus, the mercy of God driving him, went like a heat-seeking missile to Simon Peter. He won him with the mercy fleshed out in flopping old stinky fish. I know some ladies can say, maybe some guys, I don't I just don't know if I, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. Well, you're not a fisherman. You don't understand how that one was wired. But you're wired a particular way. There's some things, here's the deal. If you saw God come in and do two boatloads of fish equivalent where you work, where your life is, where your identity is, you'd have something to say about it. And that was, that was Jesus, and that was Peter. He wasn't ashamed to be found with Simon Peter. He knew that it would take Something from another world 
invading Simon Peter's world in order for Simon Peter to get it. And what happened was, you, you read that verse, when Simon Peter saw that, what did he see? He had just probably seen hundreds of people getting well and walking off and carrying their pallets with them. That didn't do for him what this did. When he saw that, two boatloads of fish in the same spot in the same lake where he had fished with his partners all night long and hadn't caught a perch. When he saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. It is, as Paul will say, it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. Folks, instead of us praying, God, you got to break them. God, you got to break them. God, you got to bust their heads. You got to break their nose. You got to, you know, ruin them somehow. So they'll come to their senses. Try that logic on this. Simon Peter hadn't repented for a thing before the miracle happened. He was nice to Jesus, I'm sure, because his wife and mother-in-law wanted him to be nice to Jesus. But then when Jesus shows up, in the middle of Simon Peter's world and is willing to engage Simon Peter in Simon Peter's world. You can't stick Jesus on some statue of a baby being held by a woman. He's not a baby anymore. He's not still dying on a cross. He's alive. I'll tell you something else. He's here. And I'll tell you something else. He wins people. He wins men. He wins women. He wins young people by the expression of particular, specific mercy in their direction. Sometimes that expression of mercy is a Christian friend, is somebody who just keeps loving them, who just keeps being patient with them, who just keeps being kind to them. And then when the time comes, when the season is right, their hearts are open to the one who is responsible for it all in the first place, and that's Jesus. You, you, listen, you, you talk about a man's life being rewritten. Simon Peter, maybe at this time in his life, the only dream he had was to be on the cover of Bass Pro Shop magazine. Or they're going to have a life-size thing of him standing by a bass boat. As far as it went, bigger dream as he had. That was his world. And then into that world comes a real man with a heart for men. With, I believe, piercing eyes that when you would look into him, it looked like he was looking into your soul. There, wasn't anybody, there wouldn't be any way to lie to him because you felt like he was reading your heart. And when that connection happened and he saw the two boatloads of fish now i'm going to tell you ladies ladies listen to me 
men are not going to be won necessarily or drawn to the Lord necessarily by the way you were drawn to the Lord. They're not. And so you'd be wasting your time. Thank God, if I just, just get him in church, just get him in church. By hook or by crook, I'm, I'm Lord, I'm going to help you to figure out a way to, to just shackle that guy to a church pew. I'm going to get him here. One of them, give him, if he can just get in church, that may be where you connected. Where was Simon Peter? Where was it? He had just finished a long night work, worn out problem, had done no good. Tried every trick in the book to try to get fish into the net. Didn't work. And then here comes this guy. And there was something about him that Simon Peter was drawn to. And he honored his requests. And he did what Jesus did, asked him to do. And the rest is history. My mercy can rewrite your life. Now, did Jesus take the fishing genes out of Simon Peter? No. He said, you've been fishing for fish. You walk with me. You follow me. We're going to still be fishing, but we're fishing for men. We're fishing for the souls of men. And you know what? Simon Peter's a pretty good fisherman for the souls of men because in a very real sense, you and I, all these generations later of the church, are a direct result of the choice that he made to follow Jesus. So, so ladies and moms, you, 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 you give room for God to be God as you pray for these men who are breaking your heart or away from where they need to be. Lord, I'm asking you for my husband. I'm asking you for my son. I'm asking you to name them. But then here's what you need to do. However you choose to get through to them, Lord, whatever you choose not to use, I'm going to be okay with just as long as you reach them. What you do for my loved ones, you do for my, what you did for Simon Peter, meet him where he is. Meet him in the place of his greatest interest. Meet him in the place of his greatest passion. Meet him in the place of his greatest abilities. Meet him there, Lord. I keep coming back to this thing. Simon Peter hadn't been baptized yet when he got two boatloads of fish. He hadn't confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord before he got two boatloads of fish. He hadn't joined anybody's church. He hadn't given an offering to the ministry of Jesus before he got two boatloads of fish. He got two boatloads of, of fish as an expression of the goodness and kindness of God that would lead him to a place of repentance. We got to watch out when we start figuring our order, our order instead of noting God's order and how he wins people. My mercy, my mercy, my mercy. Not my meanness, not my standards. My mercy can rewrite 
your life. Jesus would say. Would you bow? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I'm just so thankful for these words in your word. I'm thankful that you didn't leave out these details about how Simon Peter and James and John came to into their relationship with you. You knew Simon Peter was going to need to have some background information. He was going to have to have some evidence. He was, he was going to have to come to some conclusions that were his own, and you met him at the place of his own questioning. You met him at the place of where he could be convinced. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't changed. You haven't changed. I would ask you, Lord, for a fresh surge, a fresh dose of your faith put within us that we would we would cry out to you in the places of our entrapments and the places of our greatest need. Jesus, Son of David, mercy me. Mercy me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I thank you, Lord, for these records of your dealing with men and the great common denominator of your dealing with men and women is the thrust, the surge of your kindness, your mercy, your goodness toward us. Even when and especially when we don't deserve it. In Jesus' name.